welcome to the latest in Nearform series of podcasts discussing all things digital transformation. Today, we're talking about how organizations need to apply a whole different way of thinking to customer experience or CX projects to make them as innovative and sustainable as possible. Nearform is really at the cutting edge of CX design with world-class developers working on projects for some of the world's most recognizable brands, including Condé Nast, The New York Times, and EY. I'll allow my two guests to introduce themselves, but first, a quick tidbit on me. I'm your host today. My name is Emily McDade. I'm a technology communicator, and I've been writing about technology, including hardware, software, and devices for the past 18 years. That all kicked off from a very lucky opportunity I got early in my career at MIT. I'm now based in Belfast, but my career experience spans both London and Boston before Ireland. Um, today's first guest is James Malone. He's a design director at Nearform, and James' LinkedIn profile tells me that he aims to break down complex problems and distill them into simple, elegant solutions. James, could you describe your work and your background a bit for us? So Nearform is a fully remote company, and I'm based in the southeast of Ireland in Kilkenny. Uh, I've been a designer for over 20 years now, and mostly worked in... Uh, product development for startups um, and for large enterprise. My role here at Nearform is quite varied and touches on design leadership and strategy, uh, business development and sales, consultancy is a, is a major part of it, uh, along with solution development. Okay, great. Thank you so much for that. So just to introduce our second panelist today, hi there, Damien Beresford. You're a man with vast experience in software development at every stage and for a huge range of organizations. Damien, I know you're comfortable working on projects from both an eagle-eyed kind of leadership role, as well as rolling up your sleeves and contributing individually and writing code. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your work? Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, I guess I'm uh, yeah, 25 years in the, in the industry. I've uh, been in the software industry all my career, I guess, at this stage. Uh, but what I do at Nearform these days uh, in this director role, it's kind of multifaceted, I guess, right? Um, it is first and foremost customer-led, so I'm involved in a lot of the, the journeys that a customer would see, you know, from when they come in as a sales lead, basically, into Nearform. Uh, those original kind of assessment calls, figuring out what they want, right, uh, figuring out what their needs are. Uh, then we kind of do a discovery phase usually, okay, that, that generally is design-led, but can also be architecture-led or, or, or whatever as well. Uh, but we basically, you know, we, we, we work very closely with them to, to try and figure out exactly what they're, uh, what, what they're trying to do. And then out of that discovery phase, you know, they get, you know, a high-fidelity prototype or something, and they usually get a, an architecture document that describes how we're going to build the, the, the solution for them. Uh, and they get a refined work plan about, you know, what kind of resources we need to, to, to build it and how long it's going to take. Uh, and then I would be responsible for putting together a development team uh, on the back of that and, uh, you know, working with the customer to, to, to put that team in place, get them booted up. Uh, and then from then on out, it's really a support role. Okay, So supporting our team internally, uh, also supporting the customer. Uh, and also being kind of ultimately accountable for the, the, the success of the project. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very multifaceted role. It also involves things like evangelism, you know, uh, speaking at conferences, uh, business development. It involves recruiting. Uh, it involves consulting as well. So I do architecture kind of consulting to gigs. 
And uh, yeah, so there's basically just, you know, a, a lot of communication, an awful lot of context switching. Okay. First question. According to industry analysts, such as Forrester, enterprises need to be doing a lot more to ensure their systems have robust CX design. There seems to be a movement towards great CX design, but it seems that some companies are only really just starting on their journeys. So do you agree and dis- or disagree based on what you've seen in the field? Um, James, do you want to take that first? Yeah, so customer experience has always been something that's um, been a challenge for companies. It's it's easy to kind of talk about it, but it's, it's much harder to implement it. It really comes from a, a top-down management um, ethos and kind of philosophy on how you actually want to align the business goals with the customer goals and placing the customer at the core of everything. Uh, you see a lot of successful companies who have done that, and um, that obviously means you know a thriving environment for them. But it, it is, it's incredibly difficult mm. to achieve that. Okay. Thanks for that. Damien, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I guess my thoughts are that, you know, experience is, you know, good good customer experience is the last true differentiator. Uh, technology has kind of largely leveled the playing field uh, for a lot of services and, uh, and products, and a lot of things are now largely commoditized. Uh, but more and more these days, the customer is king. Uh, so customer is king and, and switching is easy, right? So just to give a, a kind of a personal story, uh, my wife had a horrendous in-store experience with her mobile provider a few months back. Uh, which caused her to change provider, right? And the whole thing was incredibly painless, right? Uh, since then, she's she's changed over two of her teenagers as well in the house uh, to this new provider. And uh, my contract is up soon. So, I mean, you know, we might as well all get on one bill. Uh, and all of that is stemming from, a, you know, a very, very bad customer experience in store for her, okay? Mm. Um, so, yeah, like, as I said, more and more these days, like, the customer really is king. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So moving on to the next question, both of you have customer-facing roles at Nearform. When you review your customer's business at the beginning of a project, say, what people-centric processes do you need to put in place before the technology build gets underway? So I can jump in there first. Um, um, so when we initially engage with a, a client and we have a workshop with them, one of the core things we need to understand is, is the root of the problem and, and what they're really trying to address uh, with the software they're developing. For example, on a, a recent project, um, we, we went to the, the effort of actually interviewing customer service agents in different parts of the world and spent kind of a day videoing their workflow, what they did and how they did it, just to gain a, a deeper insight into to the, the core problems that they faced in their daily tasks. This was incredibly helpful um, because it really allowed you to develop a solution around the, the core root problem. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the things we look for is alignment, right? Uh, you know, we see so so many organizations being out of sync with uh, the people that they serve experience, okay? Um, and if that alignment isn't there, it leads to so many problems, uh, you know, like disjointed applications, uh, short-sighted strategy, uh, focus on technology rather than experience, okay? Um, so, yeah, we'd be checking, like, you know, are they doing things like viewing their offerings from the outside in rather than the inside out? Okay. Um, are they aligned internally? Okay. Can they work across, you know, all the kind of functional boundaries? Uh, uh, what exactly, what exact value are they bringing, you know, right across the, the, the organization, you know? And uh, I guess then, yeah, just looking at basic things like communication and 
how they're you know how they're visualizing this experience and uh, uh, all of that kind of thing. Okay, could you um, maybe expand just a little bit? You you said something that sounded really interesting where you said they're building it from the outside in rather than the inside out. Can you um, delve into that one a little more? Yeah, so I guess and possibly help me out here, James. But uh, yeah, so we see a lot of people using you know customer journey maps and stuff, and 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 they see people like they see the user from the organization level. Okay, what they don't really map are our experiences, right? So. If you take, you know, the, the the holistic view of the enterprise and, and what experience your customer has at, at, at each point, uh, you know, where, where they touch your brand, right? Uh, and also, in, even in terms of defining experience, right? Uh, experience really is holistic, right? It, it is completely end-to-end. Uh, it's also emotional, right? It involves humans and emotions, right? Which is complex in itself. Uh, and also, that experience is circumstantial too, right? Which people don't really take into account very much. Um, so we see people like, you know, using standard personas and, and those kind of tools, uh, and they're really failing to, 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 to consider all of the, the experience. Right. So, you know, for example, like, you know, Damien is a 45 year old male who is hungry or something. Right. You know, uh, so, you know, they, they kind of fail to miss what circumstances, you know, I would be interacting with their brand, how I'd be feeling at the time. Uh, and then how it is in terms of the, the, the whole holistic journey that I have with, with, uh, across all their touch points. Okay. Great. Um, I think we'll probably get more into that as the questions keep coming. So moving to just the market in general, would you agree that digital disruptors in terms of advancing CX design are the likes of Amazon, Apple, Uber, PayPal? Um, those always seem to be, you know, brands that people always point to when they talk about great customer experience. Are there any others that you would add to that list? And, and what are the things they're getting right? So, I mean, I think the, the thing that people forget is that customer experience isn't isn't something new. Um, some of the companies that pioneered these techniques would have been Toyota and Honda. Um, and a lot of this emanated from Japanese kind of workflows of, of actually dealing with getting to the, the core root of where the problem existed, visiting either the factory or the location, and really getting to the nuts and bolts of what actually needed to be done. So whilst these are, are some of the companies that are currently implementing it, you know, there's a long history of companies that have done it successfully and companies that are, are doing it successfully. Um, whilst you know Apple and Amazon are leading kind of at the moment, you can see that a lot of the companies coming out of China um, are, are far surpassing them. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd second that as well, especially with when, when you look to Asia, right? But I would say as well that banking is very interesting at the moment, right? Um, because of, you know, changes in regulation, like, you know, open banking and PSD2, it's effectively turned the banking industry on its head. And uh, I mean, banking as an industry is is ancient, right? Uh, but the changes it's gone through in the last uh, few years have been incredible. I mean, it's effectively gone from being a branch to being a phone, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting to to see because it's it's really resulted in a lot of innovation that uh, that traditional banks have had to do, right? Uh, and also they're they are seriously being disrupted now by by what what are known as challenger banks, right? So the likes of Starling, Monzo, Revolut, N twenty six, etc. But some of the responses from the existing banks have been good as well. Um, you know, like you have the likes of Marcus app from Goldman Sachs, um, Hello Bank, etc. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 interesting that it's um, 
uh, it's it's you know gone through so much change basically, and uh, there is so much focus now on customer experience. Uh, you know, know your customer journeys, etc. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating. But I think overall, you know, uh, when you asked, um, you know, what are they getting right? Uh, for me, it's it's the correct blend of experience with technology. So customer experience with with the appropriate technology. Okay, James, you had mentioned that there were um, brands in China that are that are getting CX right. Do you want to mention specific brands or industries that they're in? Yeah, so the likes of Alibaba is um, a huge disruptor at the moment. Um, essentially, what Amazon wants to do, they're currently doing. So they have their, their store, Hema, at the moment, which is physical locations, so shopping experience reimagined. Um, and that completely integrates the offline experience with the online experience. Um, and it's, it's kind of it's one of the ways that a lot of these companies that we haven't really heard of are, are going to be leading in the next few years. Okay. Moving on to talk about the customer themselves, I think that there's, I think the age differential really comes into play. So what about the services that are directed squarely at younger generations? I mean, I don't know very many people my age using Snapchat, but it seems like every teen out there is on it. Um, Do you think um, companies like Snap are paving the way in good CX design? I mean, when I look back at my younger years, um, my kids would be horrified if they were confronted with some of the CX that we used to use when the internet first came out. I mean, I remember searching the web on AltaVista uh, <laughs> and what that entailed. So um, do you think that these younger services are paving the way in good kind of visual-based customer design? Um, it's, it's a really interesting one because Snapchat's a, an interesting case study. They redesigned their interface a while back and there was a, a revolt against the, the new design and they simply didn't listen to their customers and they didn't listen to what customers wanted. This caused a huge amount of people to abandon the service um, and subsequently caused the share price to, to plummet. So it's a, it's a cautionary tale in, in listening to your customers. Um, but what Snapchat really did was they, they gamified the whole behavioral psychology um, and how we interact with with design. So it wasn't necessarily that their experience was good, but the gamification that they used um, really propelled their their growth. Yeah, and I think as well, it's it's um, it, it's. I'm not sure if it's if it's just you know the young people or, or millennials or whatever, but uh, everybody now it just expects uh, good CX. And if you look at Netflix, for example, I mean they're not just targeted at young kids. I think they they do an incredible job. Uh, but we're also seeing a lot of interesting kind of. Uh, apps come out of Asia, which are kind of what we what what the the term for them is kind of super apps. Okay, so they're they're one single app that does a lot of things well, right? And the user experience in them is is, is just fantastic. So uh, the granddaddy of those would be would be WeChat, right? But there's other ones that you know a lot of people may not have heard of, uh, Maturian and Grab, uh, who do you know a lot of services as well, like from food delivery to hotel bookings, travel bookings, etc. You know, all from one app. Um, and all with you know a, a, a super uh, experience, uh, and they all have millions of users. You know, do you do you think that idea of a super app is? I know it's been more prevalent in Asia than it has so far in the West. Do you think it's kind of moving west that idea of a super app? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we've been doing some work in the, in the banking sector, and uh, a lot of banks now have so many offerings, right? Uh, that their challenge is to you know is to have all of these offerings in in 
you know, in one app and one phone, basically, right? Um, and we are seeing that that this idea of you know it's just having one banking app that does everything well um, uh, go down really well with, uh, with with their customers, right? I mean, these banks, you know, a lot of them have. Uh, huge customer bases. I mean, they have customer bases that the challenger banks would kill for, right? Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, they still have a challenge of you know uh, integrating all their customer journeys and you know the the whole omni-channel experience as well, right? Uh, uh, and just literally stuffing so much functionality into into single apps, right? Um, and it's a really interesting design challenge. You know how you get uh, when you do open your banking app or whatever that you want to get to your your top jobs to be done quickly. Uh, and easily uh, and still you know be able to navigate around and, and find the other uh, I guess less used um, you know things that you do at your bank in the app as well mm. right yeah James could I just go back you had talked about how snap changed its design and there was user backlash there was two things about that that really interested me first of all um, the fact that customer customer experience and design can impact the bottom line immediately. Um, it's a great case study in terms of how the share price was immediately impacted. Um, and the other thing is, I'm wondering, is, is, is the visual nature of the app so important when it comes to design? So if a user opens their app and it looks totally different to how it did yesterday um, without warning, is that, is that one of the um, pitfalls that companies could face? Yeah, so I suppose there's two issues here. Um, the user interface, so the, the design of it is one aspect, but the customer experience is the other. So how do they actually interact with it? And when people spend a lot of time learning how to use something and then something changes radically, um, the, the new learning curve is, is an annoyance. So generally with a lot of major companies like Google, you'll never really see them do a big launch like that. You see a very small iterative process where they design um, small so sequential features bit by bit and customers don't really notice um, and it's a much easier onboarding process. Whereas with Snapchat, they, they did a major redesign um, and they didn't tell anyone, they didn't test it, and it, it kind of took a lot of people by surprise. So it's almost um, not knowing how to use the new app is just as upsetting as it looking different. Yeah, because there's obviously a time factor here. It, it takes you time to, to learn that, uh, and that's an inconvenience when you want to do the thing that you need to do at that time. Um, and this is this is a big problem. It's it's also one of the issues you have with enterprise software as well, where you need to design for efficiency. You need to design so you want to optimize um, so that things can be done faster and more efficiently, but still that you have that great user experience that it's intuitive too. Yeah. So we've sort of looked backwards at um, customer design and where it's come from. Um, so. When you're designing a really great customer experience in today's modern world, how do you do that if you're confronted with a customer who doesn't really know what they want? Um, I suppose what you have to do is if a customer isn't clear on, on what the, the value proposition that they're trying to offer or if they're not clear on where the problem actually lies, um, one of the first things we do is we do a, a workshop with every single project. So we kick off a, a project with a workshop. That workshop really starts to scratch at where the problem is. Um, and from there, we, we try to talk to the customers at the, who are going to be using it um, and really ascertain what the core issues are, how can we improve it, 
um, what's the business value that is trying to be offered and try to align all of those together to come up with a solution that actually tackles all of them. Okay. Yeah, I agree. It's, 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 it's back to alignment, you know, um, and uh, also as well, kind of, it largely depends on, on how companies innovate, right? Uh, so I presume by customer here, you mean our customer and not the customer of the customer, right? <laughs> yeah, it can be a confusing one, but yes, I was getting at, so the customer that you're serving, um, yeah. they might not know what would be great for their own customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I think it's having this kind of culture of design thinking, right, where everybody in the in the organization cares about the, their, their customers, right? And uh, I don't mean like having a little bit of empathy. I mean, like deeply caring about your customers as if your job depended, depended on it, uh, because quite often does, right? Um, so we find when people do have that mentality and they have a culture of innovation in place, right, uh, that they end up having a lot of... Uh, uh, customer-led ideas, I guess, right? That um, that that you know that that are there to be explored, okay. Uh, and then depending on how those customers do uh, do innovation, okay. So typically, it's some sort of a stage-gated model where you have lots of ideas at the top and they filter down into uh, into valuable concepts that are uh, that are then executed, right? Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess it's one thing having you know knowing. You know, having an idea about or a feeling about what what's good for the customer, uh, and then having you know the 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 strategy and the ability to execute and follow it up, uh, follow up on on those concepts is you know equally important. Yeah, it's interesting that you brought up the design thinking process because I think um, that really iterative process where you're you're creating prototypes really quickly so that you can really quickly test out and weed out the bad features that aren't needed. Um, I think sometimes, do you agree or disagree, James, that sometimes um, customers would know better what they don't want? So, for instance, if you put something in front of them that you've, you know, a prototype and, and they know that that's not right, it might be easier to start from there. Sometimes, but again, it comes to a holistic view on this. So you, you really have to um, take the customer's experience and their their, their leadership and their uh, knowledge and then you have to marry that with the the end user and what they really want um, and sometimes there is a, a disconnect between the two of those so aligning those together and making sure that it addresses both the the value that the customer wants and the value that the business needs um, is, is a core part of that design thinking it really feels like this um, concept of alignment it, it keeps coming up in every answer so it's it's interesting to hear how how truly important that is in the design process yeah i think so yeah and I, there's um you know there are a lot of alignment diagrams that we can work on with people i think i touched on this earlier right so um there's things like customer journey maps you know where you you view the organization you view the user from the the organizational level uh there's kind of service blueprints as well so service service design i guess is more the back office stuff so you know what happens behind the scenes what are the the you know what are the touch points you know almost under the water that the, the customer doesn't know they're interacting with but you know what functions of the business need to happen in order to to to, to provide value um and then i mentioned experience maps as well which showed the, the the broader context i guess of human behavior and, and you know how they will interact with your, your with, with you right across all of the, the the touch points yeah so yeah there are there are various 
different tools that we use. It all is context dependent, um, and we do it on, in a kind of a consultative manner. It's it's very much a consultative engagement. Uh, it all depends on 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 what the ask is, um, and in general at Neurform, you know, every every project is different, every customer is different, every team is different, and we have to embrace those differences and uh, you know um, go from there. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, so if you're confronted with a customer who wants to be really groundbreaking, you know, um, someone with a culture of innovation who um, really truly wants to break ground, do you, or, do you agree or disagree that it's more about the how than the what? Um, in other words, so they need to have a great breakthrough model that can sometimes be more important than using breakthrough technologies. Or on the other hand, if you disagree, would breakthrough technologies create the basis for a great model? I guess I, what I'm asking is, where do you start with the model or the tech? Um, I, I think it's a, it's a bit of both. Um, technology is one of those things that it, it, it really is a facilitator. It's, you know, most um, failures are not due to technology. It's due to an understanding of where the value actually lies. So technology and um methodologies are, are, are great, but they're only facilitators. If you have a company that is very innovative, well, then that culture is baked into it. So they're, they're keen on listening to customers. They're keen on listening to what customers really want. Uh, and as such, you know, bringing the, the good working practices together and, you know, the technology will lead to that innovative kind of groundbreaking uh, technology or, or product. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. I mean, technology sometimes can just be a distraction, right? Uh, if, this, if this alignment isn't there um, and people make a lot of assumptions about uh, if we use this technology, then the customer will be will have a better experience, right? But not necessarily the case. On the flip side, then, there is, you know, there's a lot of technology that has been disruptive uh, in the last few years. So cloud and mobile in particular. Um, and, uh, you know, you can have amazing exp digital experiences now that were just not possible uh, in the past. Uh, so, yeah, I fully agree with James. It's, it's, it's a combination. Okay. Moving on to sustainability, we've kind of been talking about innovation up till now. Um, but when you're building something, you know, a customer experience, you're putting so much time, effort, and resource into that build. And you need to make sure that's going to be sustainable for a period of years or um who knows, maybe even a decade. So how do you ensure your CX design is sustainable in the long term? So the good thing about, you know, customer experience is it's, it's not a new thing. Um, as technology has evolved, different software has come on, different working practices, but the core issue of how customers interact with something is still the same. So the way we, we deal with it is, is just by constantly ensuring that what we design is as future-proof as possible. Um, obviously, there's a there's a layer of, of design veneer on it, which is the, the interface. But below that, we ensure that, you know, the the ease of use of the product, the way it um, is designed is completely functional for the, the customer and the end user. So that kind of ensures that it, it's going to have longevity. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Yeah, uh, in, in many ways, it's it's like software itself. Like it's it's never done, right? You know, uh, uh, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. I mean, they're never actually done, right? There's constant uh, cycles of improvement. Uh, so, uh, the the same for customer experience uh, projects, right? You just need to to keep keep up the investment long term, 
uh, keep learning, keep 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 adjusting, keep uh, keep improving. Okay, so kind of keeping yourselves open to constant improvement is is important with sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, just wanting to to move on right now to talk about um, the multi-channel experience. So in in customer experience and in design everyone's always talking about um, how the experience needs to be frictionless across channels. Um, that seems to be a number one goal. Um, what are you seeing in terms of omni-channel and multi-channel strategies with having that frictionless experience being really the goal? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting one. We, we kind of had um, a whole iteration of innovation with kind of the the 2.0 web of, of, you know, service and Amazon and, and everything else. And it seems to have come full cycle where a lot of these companies have used the technology that was around at the time to innovate and to disrupt um, the existing status quo, which they've done very successfully. But you see the likes of Amazon and you see a lot of the companies coming out of China as well, where that's come full circle now. So the high street is now one of the, the main target grounds where, Companies are now starting to, to realize that physical presences are still important um, and having that, that presence where it's either online, offline um, is key. So it, it's an area that's growing and the likes of Amazon are, are really pushing to, to be a part of that. And you have the likes of um, Alibaba with their, their Hema stores in China as well are really pushing to, to lead and innovate of the next phase of how we actually shop and how we actually use online and offline services. Yeah, and I think the the omni channel really just ensures that you know um, that all of these multiple multiple touch points and stuff are are all unified. I mean, you know, we as customers don't see the the brand in a silo. Okay, it's it's the holistic experience. Okay, and uh, uh, I think in in the past, you know, companies may have had this this multi channel uh, investment, so investing in the website, investing in stores or whatever. Uh, and they could be, could be completely different experiences and not connected whatsoever, right? Uh, and that's no longer good enough, right? Uh, so, you know, it needs to be uh, seamless, it needs to be integrated, it needs to be frictionless and, uh, and, and unified. And I think you could even go so far as to say that um, omni-channel or multi-channel strategy gives, gives the brand another opportunity to really, to really get a customer on board. I mean, for me, I cannot wait to go in an Amazon Go store and buy a few things and just walk out without paying for them. It hasn't happened yet, but it's one of my goals this year. Um, and in doing so, I'll probably like Amazon even more. So do you think it's it can be a real opportunity? Yeah, it's a complete opportunity. Yeah, I mentioned banking earlier. Right? I mean, there's so many opportunities in um, omni-channel uh, opportunities in banking, you know, so to to start one of your customer journeys online, right? Uh, and then maybe having to go into a branch or something for to, to pick that up in, in branch and then for that to be reflected back on, on, on your mobile. Um, so there's, there's massive opportunities for, you know, really good customer experience, uh, all highly integrated, basically. Yeah, I think we see that with, with customers. Um, it's definitely an approach that they're taking. For example, one of the, the projects we're working on at the moment um, facilitates the ability to, to do orders online, but to be able to finish those orders offline. So it's a strategy that a lot of companies are implementing because they realize that, you know, it could be easier for customers to to go into a store nearby uh, rather than wait the, the time for shipping. So that strategy is definitely something that's growing. 
Hmm. It's an interesting one. Okay. We're coming on now to my last question, but I, I think this is a bigger question that um, deserves a bit more weight. So um, you're both in the field and you're talking to your clients every day um, and you're seeing things that clients are doing well and also things that they're they're not doing well. So aside from the simple problem of not starting on the CX journey early enough, um, which I know a lot of companies are facing, aside from that one, what are some of the other common pitfalls that enterprises are facing um, in their struggle to get good CX design? Yeah, so customer experience is, is, is like we touched on at the start, it's very hard to properly implement and often it can be well-intentioned so you can have the idea of trying to do it but unless it's it's top-down management approach it can often simply uh, disappear so one of the main issues is thinking that it's simply a project and and you tick the box and it's done um, being really customer focused starts you know as soon as you engage with the customer all the way through their life cycle so it's something that you have to keep working on um, not really listening to customers as well is one of the, the main issues, kind of giving it lip service, but not really engaging with them through that, you know, iterative process of refining, reimagining and validating ideas. Yeah, I second that. I mean, so much of the problems are, are, are cultural as well. Um, and the thing about innovation or customer experience is like they're, they're not something you can buy. OK, uh, there's been an awful lot of mergers and acquisitions in in you know, in, in general, I guess, over the last few years, right, um, which have been great, right, but, you know, you can't buy this culture. Uh, that's that's definitely one of the the, the, the problems we see. Uh, but, I mean, there's there's a bunch of others. I mean, you know, uh, almost like, you know, CX pitfalls are the same pitfalls we see in, in digital transformation. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's just so many. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, James mentioned leadership. Uh, People as well, the culture, right? Uh, politics is a problem. Uh, process is a problem. Uh, or not really problems, just challenges, really. You know. uh, communication is, uh, is challenging as well. Uh, lack of this cross-functional teams as well is, is, is a big, big problem. You know, um, It's very hard to, to either do CX or innovation um, or even digital transformation right? in the traditional siloed organizations. Um, and then, you know, I guess at a low level as well, right? I mean, if, if you are a bit stuck and you don't have enough good ideas, right? That's, we, we see that a lot as well. So people not having, you know, a, a culture of promoting good ideas uh, or doing user research themselves. Um, then when you have the good ideas, you know, selecting the right one or, or backing the right one, you know, doing your homework, doing your business cases around them, et cetera. Um, what else? I guess a risk adverse culture we see as well. It's, it's um, you know, you, you need to be able to, to to back yourself, I guess, uh, uh, in a lot of ways in, in order to do any of these projects. Um, and then, you know, even if you are aligned and you have ideas, you know, can you execute, right? Uh, so do you have the capability to go and, and deliver these technical projects? Do you have the capacity to do it? Uh, and we see a lot of people, uh, or a lot of companies, you know, um, uh, bringing in partners and vendors uh, to do this kind of co-innovation, right? So uh, we've just finished a project actually with a, uh, a spin out from a very large media company, okay? So they had uh, done a vast amount of user research on, on this new 
um, uh, this new company they wanted to build, I guess, right? Uh, but what was, what was fascinating about it was they actually, you know, launched and staffed the company at the same time as uh, as they built the product, okay? And they built the product by bringing in uh, vendors like us and a couple of other vendors as well that, that had uh, other kind of capabilities that, that matched what they want. Uh, and yeah, they literally recruited and hired for uh, for the startup at the same mm-hmm. time as building it. Uh, so that was fascinating, um, yeah. James, could I jump in and ask you, you had mentioned in some of our notes before the this call um, about um, the challenge of instilling a good CX culture in an organization right from the top on down. Um, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose if you look back historically, there's some companies that have done it incredibly well. Um, Tony Heisch, who, who had Zappos, uh, really kind of instilled every single person in the company to be that salesperson, to be the, the front face of the company. And as such, they had responsibilities when it came to actually dealing with customers. So it really comes from a management structure and, and an ethos of actually working and how they want to actually engage with customers. Um, you find the most successful companies are the ones that listen most. Okay. Do you agree with that, Damien? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's culture, it's leadership, it's alignment, right? Uh, they're all very, very hard problems uh, or challenges, whether or not problems, uh, the bigger the company is, you know? Um, so doing anything at scale is is, is quite challenging. Um, but yeah, culture, culture, culture. It's one of the things that, I mean, sometimes you have... Um... As a large company, as it grows bigger, you have tunnel vision. So because you've implemented processes and structures in place, you sometimes don't have that culture of innovation. So that's where we come in a lot of the time, um, giving that kind of bird's eye view and a new perspective to something that might have kind of gone around in circles. Um, and we can bring that kind of fresh, clear perspective to it by, by just throwing out kind of a, a new view. Um, and that's one of the ways that, that companies like us kind of change things too. Mm. Yeah, I guess you have that great um, eagle eye view as a as kind of a consultancy on that on that outside of an organization. Yeah, and we see you know we see the the, the not just the customer experience challenges that companies have, but you know uh, if I was to list off some other challenges like you know uh, technology itself, right? You know uh, technology, the pace of technology change these days is is relentless. It's it's a real challenge to keep up with it. Um, we see, you know, things like vendor traps and, and, you know, software integration and legacy software, software rot. They're all massive problems for, for, for big companies, you know, uh, security, uh, is, is, is a huge one, you know, keeping the hackers out, um, uh, disruption as well. I mean, everybody's being disrupted these days. It's almost at the point where, you know, uh, how quickly can you come up with new business models before your existing bottle, mo- business models become obsolete, right? Um, time to market is a challenge. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's just, they have so many challenges going on that customer experience is just another challenge almost. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a really good way of wrapping it up, Damien. Um, James, did you have any further thoughts uh, that we haven't covered? No, I think it was a good discussion on, on the topic as a whole. Um, I think one of the, the key points, again, like we've said many times, is it's just that alignment. Um, and, you know, 
we touch base with a lot of different verticals and, and as such, we have a, a great view into lots of different trends, um, how they're shaping and how they're changing and how they're evolving and can bring that new perspective into uh, organizations. Yeah, I think that we've got a really good sense over this past hour of how Nearform is well positioned to to help companies really to achieve um, that elusive goal of that brilliant customer experience, which as we covered, uh, it's so important these days um, from customer retention right down to the organization's bottom line. Um, well, I just want to thank both James and Damien. Um, I think this has been great. We could talk about this all day, um, but in the interest of time, I think we'll stop there. There's a lot of material here that we could use to form the basis of another podcast, so I hope the listeners um, stay tuned for, for more. Um, we're going to be condensing down the thoughts shared in this podcast into kind of a one-page document, like a 10 learnings document, and that's going to be available for download on the Nearform website. Um, so thank you so much to you, James and Damien, and to the listeners, please continue to follow Nearform to find out about the future podcasts in our series. Thank you. That's great. Thanks, Emily. Thanks very much.